This podcast details true crime cases. It contains adult themes and may contain descriptions of violence. It is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Once Upon a Crime. The bond between parent and child is one of the strongest that exists. Some new parents report feeling an intense, unconditional love for their child the moment it's born. During their formative years, children may view their parents as everything, their caregiver, nurturer, and protector. But when a child is born to a parent who manipulates the parent-child bond for their own selfish needs, the child may grow up believing this distorted relationship is normal. This can create a dynamic in which the parent controls the child, Without forming a solid sense of themselves as an individual, the child may learn to obey the parent's wishes without question and blindly. In this month's series, A Family Affair, I'll share cases in which children are manipulated into involvement in criminal offenses, even murder, at the direction of a parent. First up, lust and greed spur a man to manipulate his 14-year-old daughter into committing murder. Later, when facing a lengthy prison sentence, Loyalty to her father causes Cinnamon Brown to keep her father's secret, at first. This is Chapter 1 of A Family Affair, Daddy Knows Best, David and Cinnamon Brown. March 19, 1985. It was after midnight, and 14-year-old Cinnamon Brown was awakened abruptly in her Garden Grove home. She was sleeping in the bedroom she shared with her 17-year-old step-aunt, Patty. Her father, 36-year-old David Brown, entered the room and switched on the light. The room's furnishings, collectible dolls, stuffed animals, brightly covered bedding, and frilly curtains, identified it as belonging to young girls. Cinnamon and Patty rubbed the sleep from their eyes as David entered. David Arnold Brown, 36, looked at least 15 years older than his chronological age. He had a pale complexion, bushy dark hair that curled over his ears, a broad forehead, and a pockmarked face. A small mustache sat perched over his thin, pinched lips. He was short in stature and thick around the middle. He woke the girls with a command. Girls, it has to be done tonight, he said. Cinnamon was instantly awake, although she desperately wished it was a nightmare she'd soon be woken from. Cinnamon was petite, and at 14, her face still held traces of baby fat, which made her appear even younger. Her unusual first name could have described her hair, which was a dark auburn cinnamon brown. She was scared. She knew what her father wanted, but she didn't think she could do it. She looked at her 17-year-old step-aunt, Patty Bailey. Patty was her stepmother's younger sister, but Cinnamon regarded Patty as her sister, too. Patty also looked scared, but had resolved to do what David Brown was asking of them. David spoke to Patty first, and she left the room. He then told his daughter to follow him. He took her to a room at the back of the house. On the counter were two bottles filled with prescription pills. He told her to take them. Shaking, she put out her hand and her father poured a pile of pills into it. He handed her a glass of water 
and told her to swallow them all. There were so many large pills that Cinnamon didn't know how she would get them down. But with her father looking on impatiently, she managed to swallow most of them. They returned to the bedroom. Patty was holding the baby, Crystal. Crystal was seven months old and was Patty's half-sister. David was married to Patty's sister, Linda, and Crystal was their first child. David told the girls he was leaving the house, and they knew what to do. As soon as he was gone, Patty handed the gun to Cinnamon. Cinnamon took it from her. Shakily, she walked down the hall to the master bedroom. Her stepmother, Linda, was asleep on the bed. The room was dark. She stood in the doorway for a moment, wondering how she had ended up here. Cinnamon told herself it couldn't be happening, just as she stepped closer to the bed, lifted the gun, and fired. Cinnamon Darlene Brown was the only child of David Brown and Brenda Curgis. Brenda and David met as teens in Southern California. When Brenda became pregnant, they were only 17. But the young couple was in love and wanted to be married. Their parents had to give legal consent before they tied the knot. Cinnamon was born a few months later, on July 3, 1970. The couple started their life together in Long Beach, California. David adored his baby daughter. He gave her the unusual name Cinnamon because he believed she would someday be famous and would need a unique and recognizable name. It was no wonder that David Brown thought his daughter was special, because he'd always believed he was special. Born in 1952 in Phoenix, Arizona, David was the sixth of eight children. His father, Arthur Brown, was a mechanic and worked night and day to provide for his large family. Manuela, David's mother, stayed home and cared for her brood. Manuela was ruler over the home and children, with their father working such long hours. According to David, Manuela did so with an iron fist. He described his mother as selfish, controlling, greedy, and with a mean streak. She could be violent towards her husband and children, he claimed. Family members admit that Arthur Brown was a quiet man who generally deferred to his wife's opinion in most matters. Manuela was the more outgoing and vocal of the two. It was no secret that David Brown was not a fan of his mother's. His father was Caucasian and his mother was Hispanic. David would never acknowledge his mother's culture as his own and would often make disparaging remarks about Hispanics. He openly criticized, teased, and tormented his mother as he got older. Even so, he kept her close, calling on her to help with her granddaughter Cinnamon and later Crystal, something she was more than happy to do. David grew up in a lower-middle-class family and always aspired to more. In the 1960s, the family moved around Southern California. David was bright and did well in school, but missed much class time due to one illness or another. David Brown was a hypochondriac from the time he was a child. He was constantly complaining about various ailments, and starting in his teens, David claimed he had cancer. He continued to tell people he was dying of cancer for the next 20 years. He always felt superior to his classmates and peers, although it's more likely that he had very low self-esteem and looked to connect with others who were in dire straits to boost his ego. He'd swoop in like a hero, rescue them, and then expect complete loyalty and devotion in return. But I'm getting ahead of myself. More on that later. 
He dropped out of school in the eighth grade and began working low-level jobs to provide for himself. David had little regard for his family or siblings and only contacted them when he needed something. His two main interests were women and making money. His first steady girlfriend was Brenda Kurgis. They met at 15 and became inseparable. Brenda did not have an easy childhood, and the family lived in near poverty. She was a chronic runaway when she met David. He would later claim that she was his first sexual relationship. At 16, they ran away together and survived by working odd jobs. Brenda ended up being the primary breadwinner. David was often too ill to work. He took scads of over-the-counter medications for what he said was a laundry list of diagnosed conditions, allergies, bronchitis, and constant respiratory illnesses being just a few. After they married and Cinnamon was born, they applied for government assistance to help keep a roof over their heads and their newborn in diapers. As a welfare recipient, David qualified for a work incentive program that provided free job training. In 1971, he was enrolled in Control Data Institute and trained to work with computers. He was a quick learner who became quite skilled in technology work. After completing his training, he was hired to work for the computer firm RandomX. Cinnamon was always a daddy's girl who adored her father. He was the fun dad who spoiled her with new toys, trips to McDonald's, and special outings. His pet name for her was Cinny. Brenda was left in charge of chores and discipline. As a result, Cinnamon preferred to spend time with her dad over her mother. Even though she loved her mom, Cinnamon later rebelled against her mother's rules. In her eyes, her dad was her hero, who made her feel special. Brenda was David's first love and the person he considered his perfect match. However, this didn't stop him from having relationships with other women. Brenda ended the marriage when she learned David had engaged in a series of affairs. She described her husband as, quote, oversexed and obsessed with women. At the same time, David Brown was overly controlling and possessive of Brenda, not allowing her to drive. He kept her close to him and rarely let her go anywhere alone other than her job. A pattern David exhibited throughout his life was to fall head over heels for a woman, rescue her, and then become possessive and controlling. Once he had her under his thumb, he grew tired of her and began a new relationship before ending the first. After Brenda, he always sought out women younger than himself. David started an affair with a woman three years his junior, Lori Carpenter. One day when Cinnamon was about four, David came home and presented Brenda with divorce papers. He said he wanted to end the marriage and told Brenda he also wanted custody of Cinnamon. Brenda refused to sign the papers, believing that David was merely having a fling that would fizzle out. He became furious and threatening to the point that Brenda began to fear him. She thought, what would stop him from smothering me in my sleep? So she took Cinnamon and moved out one day while David was at work. Enraged, he showed up at her job and held a gun to her head, threatening to kill her. She filed for divorce and was awarded custody of Cinnamon. David became depressed and suicidal. But he soon rebounded and married 19-year-old Lori. David was 23. The marriage lasted for about four years. He had found another girl he became obsessed with. He left his second wife for 13-year-old Linda Bailey.
Linda Bailey, like Brenda, came from a large family where she had to compete for attention and resources. Ethel Bailey had 11 children, seven of whom still lived at home. She was raising them alone and barely made ends meet. There was no money for extras, and even a fast food meal was out of the question. So when David came along and offered to pay Ethel's girls to clean his house, it seemed like a godsend. Although only in his mid-twenties, David appeared pale and sickly. He told Ethel he was dying of colon cancer and needed help at home. He lived down the street from the Baileys, and 15-year-old Pam Bailey and 13-year-old Linda began earning a few dollars doing chores and errands for him. But David had more on his mind than chores. Before the ink was dry on his divorce papers to end his second marriage, he was dating 15-year-old Pam, who was 10 years his junior. But his real interest was 13-year-old Linda Bailey, with whom he began a secret relationship. We'll see this as a pattern of David Brown's as well. He'd often carry out multiple relationships with very young girls who looked up to him as a hero and a provider. It's not too much of a challenge for an older man to throw a few bucks around to impress young girls who live in poverty without male role models. Not even for David Brown, who had a fragile ego and was pale, flabby, and sickly. He had two things going for him, a good job and the gift of gab. David Brown could sell ice to penguins to get what he wanted. Although he claimed to be on his deathbed, he had a strong, booming voice. This, combined with the sweet talk of a promised future, kept the vulnerable girls he targeted devoted to him. He tested the Bailey girls' loyalty by steering them into petty crimes. He thought having the teen girls sneak around at night and steal tools out of pickup trucks was a kick. He would later test his daughter Cinnamon's loyalty by having her shoplift small items from stores. David had ended his relationship with Pam Bailey. He began openly dating her sister Linda when she was 15 and he was 24. Linda Bailey was the seventh child of the 11 Bailey children. Her father Clyde had fathered six children with Ethel before he disappeared from their lives. Linda had a twin brother named Alan. Linda was a blonde-haired beauty who was intelligent and self-confident. Many boys wanted to date her, but once David was in the picture, she wanted no one else. She was in love and convinced her mother to give her permission to marry him when she was 17. They married in Las Vegas in 1979. He was 27. But for reasons not entirely clear, David had a change of heart and kicked Linda out of his house a month later. He claimed she was too immature. Well, duh. Linda returned home. David had left RandomX and taken a job working for Memorex, earning an even larger salary. He liked to spend his money on the Bailey girls, who were so easy to impress, with shopping sprees to buy clothes and trips to Disneyland. He left Memorex to start his own company, Data Recovery Inc., he had developed a process to retrieve data from damaged computers. His company was credited with saving the information stored on computers damaged in the Las Vegas MGM Grand Hotel fire in 1980. Data Recovery Inc. won awards as a computer disaster specialist. Soon after divorcing Linda, he began dating a woman named Cindy, whose last name has been lost over time. Even David said he couldn't remember it. Cindy had two children from a previous relationship, and David quickly decided he didn't want to be a stepfather. He and Cindy divorced after eight months of marriage. While he was married to Cindy, 
David was secretly seeing his ex-wife Linda on the side. Soon after his third divorce, he remarried Linda. Linda began working at data recovery alongside David. She learned the process used to recover data, helped manage the business, and was an integral part of its success. Maybe you're wondering what happened to David's terminal cancer diagnosis. Right before he married Linda for the first time, he made an announcement to the Bailey family. It was a miracle. He had beaten the cancer. His doctors had cautioned him that it could still flare up. But he was optimistic that he'd live longer than he'd first expected, he said. Anywho, in 1981, David and Linda seemed to be doing great. They'd moved into a rented house in Orange County, California, and then moved into a larger home. In December of that year, Linda's younger sister Patty moved in with them. Patty Bailey was five years younger than her sister Linda. When David Brown started visiting the Bailey home, she was only eight. Patty thought David Brown was wonderful from the time he entered her life. He was the first man who'd shown the Bailey girls consistent attention. He made them feel special and spoiled them with gifts, trips, and treats. When her big sister married David, Patty was jealous. She dreamt of someday being a bride, too, and thought David Brown would be the perfect husband. When he began singling Patty out for attention, she was thrilled. Patty thought David could do no wrong. But many of David's decisions were wrong. Very wrong. It was wrong to start a sexual relationship with girls barely in their teens when he was in his mid to late 20s. It was wrong to marry one of them and then immediately began sleeping with other women, sometimes his bride's sisters. And it was wrong to start sexually grooming 11-year-old Patty Bailey. It started with special attention, as I mentioned. He had Patty sit on his lap and told her how pretty and intelligent she was. He said someday she'd be as beautiful as her sister Linda. Maybe even more beautiful, he whispered. Patty lapped up the attention, desperate for male love and approval. Her father had abandoned her mother when Patty was just a toddler, so she didn't remember much about him. She didn't even know where he was. She was only told he was originally from Pennsylvania. She once told a teacher that her father was in a hospital somewhere, but no one would tell her where. Patty has been described as more quiet and serious than her sister's. She rarely smiled or spoke up, and often blended into the background. David, ever the predator of very young girls, immediately recognized her vulnerability and exploited it. Patty had long blonde hair like her sister, but even at 15, she had a baby face and a pug nose that made her look like a little girl. She acted more mature than her age, having grown up fast in a chaotic household, and of course, being treated as a sexual object by David Brown. He secretly promised the 11-year-old he'd marry her someday when she was old enough. Patty would later say, quote, David treated me special. He'd let me sit on his lap and give me attention and tell me I'm a good kid and go out and buy me clothes and make me feel real good about myself, end quote. What started out as fondling when Patty was 11 and 12 became sexual intercourse by the time she was 15, although it might have been much earlier. For her part, Patty thought she and David were in love. She later stated she believed what David was doing with her was normal. Quote, I just thought that's the way it went in a normal house, she said. David would gain full access to young Patty when she moved out of her mother's home 
and in with him and her sister Linda. The trio eventually settled in a rented house in the city of Garden Grove. Patty had her own room for the first time in her life, a closet full of clothes, and a brand new bedroom set. Except for being jealous that Linda was David's wife, Patty was the happiest she'd ever been. David's daughter Cinnamon was three years younger than Patty. Cinnamon periodically moved in with her dad, Linda, and Patty when she and her mom weren't getting along. Cinny, as her dad called her, was petite at just over five foot tall and weighing less than 120 pounds. Patty was taller with a slightly larger frame, but also petite. Where Cinnamon was lively, outgoing, and a chatterbox, according to family members, Patty was quiet, reserved, and a loner. Truth be told, Cinnamon sometimes got on Patty's nerves. She was always talking too much, singing too loud, and making sarcastic jokes that Patty just didn't get. Patty especially disliked sharing David's attention with not just her sister, but also Cinnamon when she was around. But there were other times when the girls had fun together. They'd stay up late watching movies, gossiping, and listening to music. Cinnamon didn't have a room in her father's house, but shared Patty's. There was only one bed in Patty's bedroom, but a trundle bed could be pulled out underneath it for Cinnamon to sleep on. Although Cinnamon was little more than a guest in her father's home, she didn't seem to mind it. She liked having a sister and loved spending more time with her dad. She and her stepmother Linda weren't close, but seemed to get along okay for the most part. But something changed. David grew discontent in his marriage to Linda. Maybe, at age 21, she was becoming too old for her 31-year-old husband. Perhaps he wanted to replace her with her 16-year-old sister. Or maybe it was about money. In 1983, David started complaining to Patty that Linda was trying to push him out of the business he'd founded, Data Recovery. He claimed that Linda and her twin brother Alan were trying to take his company. Over several months, David convinced Patty that her sister would stop at nothing to take control of his business and his finances. He told her that Linda and Ellen might even have him killed, claiming they had ties to the mob. Patty believed David, and it scared her. He'd provided the first stable home she'd ever had. She also was in love with him. She became more anxious as David came home from work with more stories about the shady dealings going on behind his back between his wife and her brother. Cinnamon was spending more time at her father's house in late 1983. That fall, Linda learned that she was pregnant with their first child. Cinnamon was excited about the baby and thrilled when her half-sister Crystal was born in July of 1984. She had been ping-ponging back and forth between her mother's house in Anaheim and David's house in Garden Grove. Her mother remarried, and Brenda and her husband Terry Sands had a daughter together they named Penelope. There were the usual tensions between a teen girl and her mom when Cinnamon reached high school. It was exacerbated by the challenges of being a blended family. David had long ago convinced his daughter that he was her hero, even competing with Brenda for Cinnamon's love and loyalty. All this made the fact that she liked her stepfather complicated for Cinnamon. Perhaps to prove her loyalty to her father, Cinnamon began defying the rules at home a bit more than usual. This led to more tension and arguments between Cinnamon and Brenda. So, in the late summer of 1984, it was agreed that Cinnamon would move in with her dad and Linda and enroll at school in Garden Grove in the fall. Before long, David started sharing his woes about his wife and her alleged planned coup of his business with Cinnamon. Together, 
David, Patty, and Cinnamon had several discussions about it over the next few months. David began telling the girls that he was in fear for his life. He said he was convinced that Linda and her brother Alan planned to have him rubbed out to gain control of his company. The business was very successful by this time, and the Browns earned an excellent income. David told the girls he believed he was in danger of being killed at any time. The only option, he said, was to leave town. He'd have to move away to hide from them, he said. Both Patty and Cinnamon were terrified of losing David. It was with David that they felt safe, protected, loved, and provided for. With David insisting that he was in danger, they became convinced that Linda threatened their stability and that she was out to harm or even kill David. Patty later put it this way, quote, David was everything to me. He was my family. If I thought he was going to be taken away, that'd be like pulling the plug. Now busy with the newborn, Linda stayed home, and David began taking Patty and sometimes Cinnamon with him to work. While driving to or from the office, David began discussing with the girls ways to get rid of Linda. It started as a game, Cinnamon would later say. David would encourage them to think of ways to bump off Linda. How would they do it, they speculated. Use a pillow to suffocate her? Make it look like an accidental shooting? Electrocute her by dropping a toaster in the bathtub? Cinnamon said they laughed about this idea when they remembered that Linda only took showers. But at some point, the girls came to realize that David was serious. He said it was either Linda or him, and he needed to get rid of her before she killed him. Cinnamon and Patty tried to suggest alternate ways to keep David safe. Why not just divorce her, Cinnamon asked. He'd divorced more than once already. What was the big deal? David nixed this idea, saying Linda knew too much about the process he'd invented for data recovery. She'd use it to set up a competitive business, he said, and wipe out all his clients. Also, there was the alimony he'd have to pay her if they divorced. Again, he said his financial future was on the line, and he'd have no money to provide for himself or anyone else. They finally decided that shooting Linda would be the most straightforward plan. He told the teens that one of them would have to do it because he was too ill and, quote, didn't have the stomach for it. Patty may have had an additional motivation for wanting her sister gone. Linda had become increasingly annoyed at her little sister's obvious crush on her husband. It really bothered Linda when she was heavily pregnant that summer, and her 16-year-old sister was parading herself in shorts and bikini tops in front of David. Linda became angry and tried sending Patty home to their family in Riverside, but David brought her back. He said he knew that Patty had a crush on him, but convinced Linda he'd talked with her on the way home and told her to back off. Still, Linda confided to a friend that she believed David was having an affair with her little sister. Linda was still pushing to have Patty move out. It wouldn't be long before David put his hypothetical plan to get rid of his wife into action. David Brown had decided he needed to rid himself of his wife. He'd convinced her sister Patty and his daughter Cinnamon to help him. In the first attempt in late 1984, he woke Patty and gave her instructions. Handing her a gun, he told her to go into the bedroom while Linda was asleep and shoot her. Patty reached the doorway to the master bedroom where her sister lay sleeping. David was hiding behind the door. She lifted the gun 
but couldn't pull the trigger. Crying, she handed the weapon back to David and ran into her room. I couldn't do it, Patty would later say. She was my sister. I loved her. In the meantime, David was planning for life after Linda. He purchased several life insurance policies on his wife's life, including a $100,000 double indemnity policy and two others worth over $200,000 each. David could collect over $800,000, or over $2 million in today's dollars, if Linda died. Patty couldn't go through with the plan, so David now chose Cinnamon as the trigger person. He explained to his daughter that because she was only 14, she wouldn't go to prison if she killed Linda. He said she would be given psychiatric treatment and remain in a hospital for a short time and then be sent home. He said it was the only way to ensure his safety. He promised they would be together forever if she would do this for him. One day, David sat Cinnamon down to have a serious talk. He asked her, Do you love me, Cinnamon? When she assured him she did, saying she loved him more than anything, he asked, Would you do anything for me? I want to make sure you love me enough to do anything for me. He threatened to leave for good if she didn't help him. She'd never see him again, he said. He couldn't help it. It was the only way he could be safe. Cinnamon became desperate and begged her father not to leave. Well then, how are you going to help me? I need you to help me, he whined to his daughter. Cinnamon needed to make sure she was clear about what he was asking. Do you want me to kill her? She asked, incredulous. I want you to help, yes, he said. And if you have the stomach for it, I want you to do it. He ended the conversation by saying, If you love me, you'll trust me. Just believe what I say. I'm your father. I know what's best. Fourteen-year-old Cinnamon Brown heard her father's voice echoing in her head as she stood above her 23-year-old stepmother, Linda. She later said, I loved my father. I didn't want to lose him. Why would he tell me to do something that wasn't right? Cinnamon pulled the trigger. David had instructed her to put a pillow over the gun to muffle the sound. After the first shot, the gun's hammer got stuck in the pillow. Panicked that she'd done something wrong, she returned to Patty's room, where the 17-year-old was waiting. She was holding eight-month-old Crystal, Linda and David's baby. Together, the girls tried to pull the gun loose from the pillow. It went off, missing the baby by inches, and a bullet lodged in the bedroom wall. After the roar of the gun cleared from their ears, they heard the sound of Linda moaning or crying in the other room. They both panicked, and Patty told Cinnamon, go in there again, handing her the gun. Linda had been struck in the abdomen just below the chest. Cinnamon returned to the dark room. Linda was still lying in the bed. She fired a second time. At 3.30 a.m., an emergency call was placed to the Garden Grove Police Department. A man identifying himself as David Brown, upset and crying, stated, I think my wife has been shot. When the officer arrived at the Ocean Breeze Drive home, David met him at the door. Patty stood nearby holding the baby. David said he'd left the house late that night to escape his wife and 14-year-old daughter's, quote, constant bickering. He thought his wife had been shot by his daughter, who had then, quote, taken off. 
David said he hadn't had the stomach to go into the room to check on her because he, quote, couldn't stand the sight of blood. The officer entered the room and heard a death rattle coming from the young woman lying face up in the bed. She was lying in a pool of blood. She wasn't dead, but the medical examiner would later state that it was too late to save her with the amount of blood she'd lost. Her death was determined to be caused by two gunshot wounds to the chest from a 38 caliber weapon. Linda Bailey Brown had bled to death. David described his daughter Cinnamon as five foot tall with brown hair and eyes, weighing about 115 pounds. She was not found on the property, and her description was broadcast to patrol units. Homicide detectives arrived to process the crime scene and interview the witnesses. David was crying so hard they wondered if he might need medical attention. He appeared to be very frail, and he was so emotional it alarmed them. The other resident in the house, 17-year-old Patty, the victim's sister, was hysterical. They could get almost no information from her in the condition she was in. David Brown's parents, Arthur and Manuela, arrived after being informed of the shooting. They cared for baby Crystal, while David and Patty gave their statements to police. It wasn't until the sun came up the following day, around 7 a.m., that Detective Fred McLean decided to make another pass around the property. In the backyard was a dog run with a large-sized doghouse inside. When he leaned down and looked into it, he saw it wasn't empty. Taking a closer look, he saw a young girl curled up inside. It was Cinnamon. The detective called to her and coaxed her out. As she stood, he saw she'd vomited and urinated on herself. The vomit was bright red. Clutched in her hand was a piece of paper wrapped in cardboard. Tied around the cardboard was a ribbon. When the note was later open, they found it read, Dear God, please forgive me. I didn't mean to hurt her. Cinnamon was taken to the police station to be questioned, but after a short time, detectives saw that she was in medical distress and had her transported to the hospital. She lapsed into a coma. It was discovered that she'd consumed massive doses of the opioid pain medication Darvaset, as well as diazide, a drug used to treat hypertension. She'd ingested so many of the pills that she'd vomited. The emergency room doctor told police this was probably the only thing that saved her life. Cinnamon Brown was charged with murder and booked into the Orange County Juvenile Hall in absentia. She could not be charged as an adult, because at that time, California law didn't allow it for anyone under 16, even for a murder charge. Before Cinnamon Brown began to lose consciousness, she appeared alert enough to answer questions. During that time, she confessed to shooting her stepmother. She took full responsibility and didn't implicate anyone else in the crime. When told Linda was dead, Cinnamon seemed genuinely surprised. She's dead? Oh no, she cried. She said she and Linda had a big fight because her stepmother wanted her to move out. She was tired of me and didn't want me around, she explained. She said she'd found the gun in her father's office. Cinnamon said the reason she had shot Linda was, quote, she hated me. I was angry with her. She made a full recovery and was charged with first-degree murder. She was tried in juvenile court in August 1985. In the California juvenile court system, there is no jury present. The judge hears the case, makes the decision, and hands down the sentence. 
Cinnamon went before Judge Robert Fitzgerald, and her case was prosecuted by Orange County Assistant District Attorney Jeffrey Robinson. He told the court that Cinnamon had killed her stepmother in cold blood because she was a, quote, depressed and angry girl. Her father paid for her defense attorney, Al Forget. Cinnamon pled not guilty by reason of insanity. Her attorney called expert witnesses to testify that she was not mentally competent at the time of the murder. She did not take the stand in her own defense. After recovering from the near-fatal overdose, she claimed not to remember anything from the night Linda was killed. She denied confessing to murder. Cinnamon went even further, saying she didn't believe Linda was really dead. Cinnamon's attorney hired a clinical psychologist to interview her, her father, and other family members to prepare for the trial. David Brown mainly talked about himself, spewing off a laundry list of his medical ailments, hypertension, an ulcerated colon, allergies, bronchitis, etc. He spoke glowingly of his father, while stating he hated his mother, who he described as cruel and violent. He claimed to have been suicidal throughout his life and hospitalized more than once. He blamed the women in his life for his miseries, his mother and his first wife, Brenda, specifically. Other witnesses interviewed said Cinnamon overall was a happy girl who got along with nearly everyone. They'd seen no major issues between her and Linda. If anything, Cinnamon's only problem was the tug-of-war she experienced as she moved back and forth between her mother and father's homes. Some family members said that Cinnamon had always seemed desperate for her father's love and attention. David Brown, however, was another story. His ex-wives and others described him as very controlling and domineering with the women in his life. Linda couldn't go anywhere without David, and Cinnamon and Patty couldn't have friends over or give out their phone number. David forbade the girls to date or socialize with boys. Still, David Brown had no criminal record, and investigators could find no evidence connecting him to his wife's murder. David Brown had promised his daughter that if she killed for him, she'd be sent to a psychiatric hospital for a short time and then released to come home. He was wrong. On September 13, 1985, Cinnamon received her sentence. Judge Fitzgerald ruled that Linda's murder had been committed with premeditation, deliberation, and malice aforethought. He sentenced Cinnamon to 27 years to life. David Brown was present in the courtroom for the sentencing. He had not attended one day of her trial, stating that it would be too taxing on his health. Cinnamon was gobsmacked. She had believed everything her father had told her, but this time, he'd been very wrong. She was sent to the Ventura School in Camarillo, California, a California Youth Authority facility, to serve her time. Linda Brown, dead at 23, was cremated and her ashes were interred at the base of a fountain in a Pasadena, California memorial park. David Brown collected $835,000 on life insurance policies he'd taken out on her life just months before her murder. Within six months, he moved out of his rented house, where his wife took her last breaths, and purchased a luxury home in Anaheim Hills for $330,000 cash. He moved his mother and father into his new home. Manuela, the mother he claimed was cruel and whom he hated more than anyone, helped out by caring for the home and baby Crystal. Patty moved in as well. 
David's mother thought it was odd that the teen was still living with him. Why didn't she move back with her own family, she asked repeatedly. David either ignored her or told her to mind her own business. Patty had her own room in the home, but it didn't take a detective to see that she had taken her sister's place in David's life and his bed. Speaking of detectives, Jay Newell, the senior investigator for the Orange County DA's office assigned to investigate Linda's murder, felt something was off about the whole thing. Cinnamon had confessed, been tried and convicted, but he couldn't let it go. Something was fishy, he thought, and he believed it began and ended with David Brown. First of all, he thought, Brown is too sick to attend his daughter's trial? His behavior at having just lost his wife didn't track either. When he finally showed up to attend Cinnamon's sentencing, he didn't act appropriately for the seriousness of the situation. Cinnamon's mother, Brenda, had attended all her daughter's court proceedings. When David finally showed up for the sentencing, he sat behind his ex-wife in the courtroom and acted like a smitten schoolboy. He repeatedly pulled at her hair and tried to get her attention, annoying Brenda. Jay Newell became even more suspicious of David Brown. He decided to check up on him periodically. What he learned over time gave him even more reason to think Brown was involved in Linda's murder. He'd been awarded a large insurance settlement soon after his wife's death, purchased an expensive home and several luxury vehicles, and seemed to be having the time of his life. And on one surveillance trip to the Anaheim Hills home, Newell observed David with Linda's teenage sister Patty locked in a passionate kiss. Meanwhile, Cinnamon was locked away, without knowing what her father was up to on the outside. He only visited her occasionally. He'd promised to hire someone to work on getting her released, but had done nothing. After she was convicted, David told her that she should refuse to participate in any counseling or therapy programs in prison. Of course, this was for his benefit, not his daughter's. He couldn't risk that she might share something with a counselor about his involvement in her crime. Then Jay Newell turned up some choice information on David Brown. He discovered that he and the murder victim's sister, Patty Bailey, had secretly married in Las Vegas in July 1986. David hadn't even revealed the marriage to his parents, who lived in the home with them. Patty had balked at keeping their union a secret, especially since she was pregnant. But her new husband told her that people would, quote, jump to conclusions and think they had something to do with her sister's murder, so they had to keep the relationship under wraps. Patty and David's daughter was born in September 1987. They named her Heather Nicole. David didn't allow Patty to name him as the father on the birth certificate. He came up with a story that Patty had met a guy and gotten pregnant. The guy had taken off, and David had generously allowed her to continue living in his home with the baby. Cinnamon had been in prison for three and a half years when she learned about the insurance money her father had received and that Patty was still living in his home. She had long suspected that Patty and her father had something going on between them. She'd once caught them kissing when they thought no one was around. Her father had tried to convince her it was nothing, but had also sworn her to secrecy. She'd been suspicious ever since. Now she knew it was true, and that Patty, who'd also conspired in her sister's murder, was living in luxury with her father while she rotted away in jail. Cinnamon was finally ready to tell what she knew. Jay Newell's spidey sense about David Brown had paid off. His patience in waiting for just the right time to talk to Cinnamon would result in Brown finally being served justice. 
Cinnamon had taken the fall for her father's evil plan, and he had significantly benefited while she sat in a prison cell. Her father had married Patty and started a family with her. Patty had it all, a house with a pool, money, and a husband who gave her everything she could want, all while Cinnamon had been virtually forgotten. She could no longer abide it. She was ready to talk. Cinnamon agreed to speak with Investigator Jay Newell and tell him what had really happened. She explained how her father had chosen her to shoot Linda, whom he'd convinced her was a threat to his life. She'd been young and naive enough to believe him and had done his bidding. She didn't hate Linda, she told Newell. In fact, she loved her, and it pained her greatly that she'd taken her life and that her daughter Crystal would never know her. Newell believed Cinnamon was telling him the truth, but said they needed evidence in order to charge her father with a crime. Was she willing to wear a wire the next time he visited? Cinnamon was nervous, but agreed. They asked her to try and steer the conversation to his part in the murder plot. On August 13, 1988, David visited Cinnamon. They were allowed to meet outside on the grounds. They sat across from each other at a picnic table. Cinnamon was wearing a hidden microphone. Detectives were listening in and recording the conversation. At first, David repeated the lie about Linda and her brother plotting to kill him with the help of the mob. Cinnamon started recounting the things she remembered from the night Linda was killed. What about the pills he gave her? She'd almost died. Didn't he know how dangerous it was for her to take so many pills? He didn't answer her question, but did admit he'd been the one to give her the drug cocktail. He urged her to continue claiming she couldn't remember what happened the night of the murder. He told her he had a plan to get her released. But he said he couldn't take her place. I can't survive in jail, David whined. I would kill myself before I'd let myself die a slow and painful death in a cell. Instead, he said he'd convince Patty to confess. Patty would take the blame, he promised, and Cinnamon would be released. David was offering up yet another sacrificial lamb to save himself. Another wife he'd use and discard for his own selfish gain. If David Brown had his way, another one of his children, Heather, would grow up without a mother. It must be said. What a piece of shit. Anywho, in order to convince Cinnamon, David promised to bring Patty with him for the next visit. She'd hear it straight from Patty, he promised. Investigators decided to have Cinnamon wear a wire for the next meeting, too, before they made a move on David Brown. Two weeks later, David returned to visit Cinnamon with Patty. She was wearing a wire once again, and detectives were listening. They gave Cinnamon instructions on what to say and what questions to ask through an earpiece. At first, David and Patty denied Cinnamon's account of the night of the murder. They tried to gaslight her and make her doubt her memory. But Cinnamon stayed firm, often sounding frustrated by their lies. David and Patty made enough incriminating statements to make it clear to investigators that they had been in on the planning of Linda's murder. They'd set Cinnamon up to pull the trigger and take the rap, but in the eyes of the law, they were just as guilty of murder. David had set the whole sordid event in motion by lying about Linda being a threat to his life. He provided the gun and the instructions. Patty had aided him by giving Cinnamon the gun and telling her to go back in there and shoot Linda a second time. They had enough to make an arrest. Three weeks later, police knocked on the door of David Brown's Anaheim Hills home. He was placed under arrest, and Patty was taken in as well. His first strategy was to deny everything by throwing Patty under the bus. He said he was terrified of Patty, 
and had believed that she was the actual killer. He even denied having a relationship with her. Portions of his recorded conversation with Cinnamon were played for him. Once Brown realized they could use his own words against him, he admitted he told his daughter to take the blame, but only because he was afraid of Patty and her family. He said he never believed the girls would go through with the murder. All the conversations about killing Linda were, quote, just a joke, a game. I was shocked that Linda was killed, David claimed. In September of 1988, David Brown was charged with the murder of Linda Bailey Brown. He pled not guilty. After hearing the evidence, the jury took less than seven hours to convict David Brown of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. They attached special circumstances to the charge because the murder was committed for financial gain. Patty Bailey was also charged. Because she was 17 at the time of the murder and cooperated with the DA, testifying at David's trial, she was tried in juvenile court. She pled guilty to first-degree murder and was sentenced to prison until she reached the age of 25. She was 22 years old at the time. Cinnamon was 20. Judge Donald A. McMartin sentenced David to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The case had started as a possible death penalty case and had been pleaded down before trial. The judge addressed this before handing down the sentence. Quote, If this had gone to the jury as a death penalty case, I'd have no problem sentencing your client to either life without the possibility of parole or to death, he said to David's attorneys. Next, he addressed the defendant. Mr. Brown, you're a scary person. Look what you did to your own children, to your sister-in-law. It's scary to think you can manipulate people and do all this and not bat an eye. Even Charlie Manson didn't use family. You're a master manipulator. I think the circumstances of this case are unbelievable. You had no concern for your daughter, your sister-in-law, or your wife. If Cinnamon had gone under, you would have walked away. Mr. Brown, you make Charlie Manson look like a piker. But David Brown, unbelievably, wasn't done attempting to do away with people for his own gain. While awaiting trial, he approached another inmate and offered to pay him $500,000 to kill Patty, investigator Jay Newell, and DA Jeffrey Robinson. Richard Steinhardt, a former member of the Hessian motorcycle gang, was about to be released when Brown solicited him to be his hitman. Steinhardt reported this to authorities, and once again, David was set up to incriminate himself on tape. Brown sent money to Steinhardt using his brother Tom Brown as the bagman. However, Tom had yet to learn why the money was being paid out when he agreed to do this favor. He ended up being charged as an accessory before being cleared. He would have this to say when the plot was revealed. As far as I'm concerned, I don't have a brother anymore, Tom Brown said. Anyone who could screw his family like this isn't part of the family. We trusted him. When David Brown was informed of the audio-taped evidence against him, he pled guilty to the charges. He received an additional six years onto his life sentence. While serving her time at the Ventura School, Cinnamon Brown completed her high school education and attended college classes, earning her Associate of Arts degree. She worked for over three years while in prison as an airline ticket reservation clerk. In 1992, after serving eight years, Cinnamon was released at age 21. She moved back to Orange County and spent her first few months with a foster family. 
She remained close friends with investigator Jay Newell and DA Jeff Robinson and their families. They helped her to transition back into society, and she was forever grateful for their help and support. In 1994, Cinnamon married. Her parole ended the following year. She now works in the travel industry and has refused most requests for interviews. She has also expressed deep remorse for Linda's murder. Quote, I feel very ashamed of what I did to Linda. It's very painful knowing I took her life and she'll never have a chance again. I cry and pray for her often because I loved her. That's what hurts more than anything. I loved her and I still believed my father's lies. And I killed her. End quote. Patty was released from prison at 25, one year after Cinnamon. She served her time in the same facility where Cinnamon was incarcerated. For a time, they were placed in adjacent cells. Once David Brown was arrested, he never communicated with his daughter Cinnamon again. Patty, however, received letters from him almost daily, which she enjoyed reading out loud, still competing with Cinnamon for David's attention. David continued to deny that her daughter Heather was his child. After release, Patty changed her name. She married and fought for custody of her daughter and won. In 1994, she gave birth to twin boys. She attempted to connect with Cinnamon, but Cinnamon declined, saying she wasn't ready and just wanted to focus on re-entering society. David Brown died in prison in 2014 of natural causes. He was 61. He'd hired professionals to manage his company, Data Recovery Inc., and continued to be paid from its profits while in prison. This case became a media sensation when the murder occurred, and it was discovered that David Brown had manipulated his 14-year-old daughter into killing his wife. It became the subject of two books and a made-for-TV miniseries. If you're interested in reading more about this story, you can still find the books in print. A Killing in the Family was authored by Danielle and Tim Hill and Stephen Singular. If You Really Loved Me was written by Anne Rule. Both were published in 1991. The TV movie Love, Lies, and Murder aired in two parts in February of 1991. It stars Clancy Brown as David, Cheryl Lee as Patty, and Moira Kelly as Cinnamon. That will do it for this episode of Once Upon a Crime. Once Upon a Crime is written and produced by me, Esther Sanchez Ludlow. My administrative and production assistant is Lorena Garcia. You can find all episodes of Once Upon a Crime, along with our links to our social media, on our website, truecrimepodcast.com. I'll return next week with the second chapter in the series, A Family Affair. Make sure to subscribe or follow Once Upon a Crime on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Check out the videos that accompany each episode on YouTube. Look for Once Upon a Crime podcast to find our YouTube channel and subscribe. Until next time, be good to one another.